This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word because it is the light to life. Father, we have a busy week. Some of us have had very emotional weeks. We pray, God, at this time that your spirit be with us, that your spirit will affirm that your truth is always yes in Jesus. As we open up your word, we pray that we do not go off empty because your word never leaves us empty, but will strengthen us and will lead us if we are willing to come to you. So be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Tom Jones made famous this shocking song called The Green, Green Grass of Home. Let me not sing it to you, but read it to you. It goes like this. The old hometown looks the same. As I step down from the train, and there to meet me is my mama and my papa. Down the road I look, and there runs Mary, hair of gold and lips like cherries. Oh, it's good to touch the green, green grass of home. Yes, they all come to meet me, arms reaching, smiling sweetly. Oh, it's good to touch the green, green grass of home. Now, this nostalgic song begins by speaking of this man who returns from, to his childhood home after a very, very long time. Surprisingly, when he touched down, families were there welcoming him. This beautiful girl, Mary, comes to him. And together they head to their old familiar house and childhood tree, uh, childhood tree. And so Tom Jones continued the song this way. The old house is still standing, though the pain is cracked and dry. And that's that old oak tree that I used to play on. Down the lane I walk with my Mary, hair of gold and lips like cherries. It's good to touch the green, green grass of home. But... As he sings, Tom Jones reached this point, green, green grass of home. His voice starts to crack and he stops, start to stop singing. And you start to feel that this song is not going to be a song about a sweet homecoming. It's going to be a haunting song where you hear the last part. And here is how Jones ends the last phrase. Then I wake and look around me. And four grey walls surround me. And I realize, yes, I'm only dreaming. For there's a guard, and there's a sad old padre, the priest. Arms in arms will walk at daybreak. Then again, I touch the green, green grass of home. Yes, they'll come to see me in the shades of that old oak tree. As they lay me beneath the green, green grass of home. And so it turns out for this song at the end, it is a song of a prodigal son who was moment away from his death toll. Yes, his loved ones will meet him, but him in his coffin when they send it home. No, dear friends, there are lessons that the calendars of parties, the champagnes of success, the praises of men, the house of pleasures cannot teach us. There are lessons that we can only learn by looking at death. And so the teacher begins today's passage this way. He says, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. 
You know, the teacher begins with a very common proverbs just to draw you and me to nod our heads, to agree with him. Because everyone wants to be wise, and a wise person will agree, a good name, a good reputation, is better than a, a bottle of perfume or even fine clothes to make you look good outside or smells good. But that's about it. Because the teacher for today, he's not going to write about Proverbs. He's writing about Ecclesiastes. And what he really wants you and I to recognize is that the day of death is better than the day of birth. Now, he's not trying to say that death is better. It's better to die than to live. That's not what he's trying to say. He's saying that the day of death is a better teacher than the day of birth. You just imagine me two journals, two leather journals. The day of birth is like this new leather-bound journal. It looks nice. It smells good. You paid a lot of money from an expensive shop. It's nice, full of empty, beautiful papers for you to write. Or journal your future, your dreams. It is beautiful, it is empty. You know, at a baby shower, we see the baby, we love the baby, we, we have many well wishes for the baby. But the teacher tells us the wisdom of life is not found by looking at the experience at birth. But meanwhile, the day of birth is like this old tattered journal, full of writing, sometimes of different ink, sometimes they'll smudge of coffee, sometimes they'll tear smudge with paper. And as you look at that torn, tattered journal, you recognize one thing. There will not be an additional word written by its owner because it's done. The old journal is a better teacher than the new unwritten one. For the truth is this, the worst criminal and the best of humanity both looked beautiful when they were first born. The day of birth is not our teacher, and he goes on. Neither the house of feasting, nor the house of laughter, or the house of pleasure, or songs of fools. No, they may entertain us, they may make us feel good. At times, in these parties, they may even make you feel immortal. In the house of laughter, we can joke about death. In the house of pleasure, we can seek the excitements in life. But the teacher wants us, the laughter of fools is like the crackling of thorns. You know how it sounds like when you're in a camping and there's fire? The thorns helps you to spark the fire, but, but the thorns are really just there making a lot of noise and they disappear in that split second. They don't last. You know, like the song, The Green Green Grass of Home, the, the prodigal son engrossed in laughter, in pleasure, in crimes, he did not have time to think about death. Until death comes knocking at his metal grills and then it's too late. If only he had time to pause, to visit a cemetery, to look at an obituary page, he might have gone to the green, green grass of home on foot and not on a wooden box. But he didn't have until it's too late. You know, the teacher having journeyed six chapters, you are here, it feels like a long time, it's only six chapters. He describes how death caused life to be able, to be vaporous, the frustration. But now, today, he turns surprisingly to call us to tune into death, to take stock of our mortality, our mortal life, this one life. And he says, don't waste it. Now, I remember about 20 years ago, I had a short budget trip. 20 years ago, poor student, 
maybe still in army. Uh, I, I, I went with two friends. We, we hired a car. We went across the bridge. We hired a cheap uh, rental car, trying to head to the other border uh, within three days and come back because school is still happening and everything. And uh, I remember this one stretch clearly. We take turns to drive so it doesn't stop. And two of my friends, they were dozing off. I was driving on this highway. I was sitting at 150 kilometers per hour. And for that moment, I thought, what it would be for me to tell my friends that I've done 180 for that one shot. And I tried. It was a cheap car, small capacity. As I drove, the car was floating. And I knew any shift of me, three lives are gone But because of the fool. I tried it. But thanks be to God. Fear grips me. I slow down. Three people are saved. God was gracious. But I was a fool. Because the flowers by the side of the highway were shouted to me, You be crazy. You idiot. Look at us. You'll be another flower. God was gracious, but I was a fool. You know the teacher's words for us today, friends, is that as we go to funerals, the house of mourning, as we look at the obituary page of Straits Times, we are meant to see that death visits everyone. Men, women, young, old, rich, poor, loved, hated, different races, anytime. Death gives us this warning, we are mortals, and he will always visit at the most inconvenient time. Can't help it. But until we have visited death, hopefully not ours, but the day of death, the house of mourning, that will truly learn the prayer that Moses prayed in Psalms 90, the very wise words of Moses. Listen to this. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrows because they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, God. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. No, friends, the heart of wisdom is gained when we visit the day of death, when we recognize our mortality, when we recognize that every page of our journal is precious and we cannot guarantee how many pages you and I have. In the later chapters, the teacher warns us further about judgment, but in today's passage, he calls us to treasure every page of our lives, not assuming we can control how much more do we have. You know, Pastor John Piper, he, he gave a very monumental sermon, and years later he wrote this book called Don't Waste Your Life, and this is his warning, and I think we should take it to heart. Let me read to you what Piper writes. I will tell you what a tragedy is. I will show you how to waste your life. Consider this story from February 1998, Reader's Digest. A couple took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59. She was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise and their 30-foot trailer played softball and collect shells. And then Piper said, picture them before Christ at the great day of judgment. Look, Lord, see my shelves. That is tragedy. A wasted life lived to wait for judgment. Now, if you have been following a teacher who is well aware that there is a God above the sun, 
then these words of John Piper should sober us. He said elsewhere, remember you have this one life. That's all. You're made for God. Don't waste it. Dear friends, how are you and I living with mortality in view? Now this one life we have, I pray that for you and for me, Ecclesiastes has been an occasion where we are caused to pause and think and not rush too quickly. That we pause, we think about this one life and this brief mortality that we have. Now, on Tuesday, I was reading my Bible. I read through Colossians and uh, I couldn't take my eyes off it. So I end up to chapter 4 and verse 3 and and this verse struck me. Paul was making a prayer request to the Colossian church. They think he's a fanatic, but he, he prayed this. He says this. Let me read to you Colossians 4 verse 3. He says, Pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. He was in chains. Life. I, he doesn't know how many more pages. Just pray that there will be open doors. So when, I, when I read that, I couldn't help I, I took my Bible, I put it on the side of me, I opened up my laptop and I started to email two friends who are now in the Middle East. I knew they gave up a lot to be there and, and what they want for really is just for open doors. So I wrote to them, I, I thanked them for, I, I was deeply thankful for the ministry and I said, I'm praying to God that God may open doors for you and I gave them this verse. Later text a group which met the night before on Monday from church, we were reading books uh, Christian books, and I was reminded of this, and we were talking about King Jesus coming back. I said, King Jesus coming back, we need to be prayerfully dependent on spirit. Perhaps what we need is not just to think how do we reach out more, but to pray that God may open doors for us that we can proclaim the gospel. And then two days later, on Thursday morning, I opened up my laptop, and this prayer letter came in from a friend in the UK, and guess what? His word, his letters again, showed this very verse, Chapter 4, verse 3 of Colossians. Because he was aware. He was getting old. Time is short. He says, please pray this as I pray for you. Now, death reminds us that life is short. Live wisely. Live intentionally. Don't waste your life. Don't waste my life. The teacher wisely calls us to tune in to death because the day of death is a better teacher than the day of birth. If anyone here is not yet a Christian or still pondering and still thinking about it, I pray that this will be a great opportunity during Ecclesiastes to ponder hard, to think about life and death, to think about God and us, to think about present and eternity, that we may have a heart of wisdom. For, those, for the rest of us who are already professing Christians, I pray that we too also will pause in the midst of our lives just to think, how will I use this one life and perhaps to pray with each other. Because you are my encouragement and I am yours, I pray, to be reminded. In fact, later we're going to have prayer meetings. It would be great if, if you can't make it, it's fine. But if you can, it would be great to meet with others just to pray with each other about things that matters in this life. Together, it's at 1.30, is that 2 o'clock? If you can, it would be great. Now, if you have considered the day of death up to now, as wisdom calls to, then perhaps we'll be ready to hear wisdom give us some words of advice for this life in our daily lives to be more fruitful.
Because after all, wisdom is valuable. It's, it's like inheritance. It's like money, but much better, that gives us shelter. So listen to what wisdom has to say from verse 7 to 10 with me. Look at it. If you have your Bible, it's there. If, it's on your, it's, if you have your own Bible, it's even better. But let me read verse 7. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool. A bribe corrupts the heart. The end of matter is better than its beginning. The patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in the spirit, for, for anger resides in the laps of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than this? For it is not wise to ask such questions. In this short passage, there are four words of wisdom that we'll just look at it briefly. The first one comes right in verse 7. It warns us against anger, uh, against power and corruption. Now, everyone wants to be wise. No one wants to be stupid or to be a fool. But the teacher warns the abuse of power by or on a person can make the person go mad. An opportunity to have a share in bribe will corrupt a person. Now, if you're seen around the world, rich read our newspaper, we see that power and money can corrupt even the most intelligent leaders who are called to lead and protect people. This warning by wisdom comes back for us to recognize our mortality. You know, a, a man once spoke about his struggle at work. His boss asked him to be creative about some of his findings. He knew it was wrong, but it was also made known to him that there's always consequence and rewards for what he does. So be smart about it. What will he do? The teacher wants. Be careful. Don't let power and greed turn us into fools. If you get muddle-headed, visit the day of the death to get some clarity. Perhaps read a passage in Psalms. Perhaps get an obituary put at the at the folder of your of your work file so that as you look at it, you say, "Hey, man, wisdom is more important." The second word of wisdom is in verse eight. It calls us to have patience, you know, in light of oppressions, even trials. Let us not be too quick to speak like fools or in our arrogance. For again, we cannot see the end of things. And so to speak in pride, we speak like fools. As we watch our hearts, there may be times that the world sees us as fools. But remember, the outcome of our lives have not reached its end. That we should be patient. The classic words of Job to his wife should be written in bold if we have a journal. You know the story of Job? There's this man in the Bible. He has this whole book to him. Uh, he's a man who loves God. But one day Satan comes to God and says, You know what? This guy prays you because you bless him. Get him into trouble and see if he'll still bless you. He'll probably curse you. He was allowed. His sons, his daughters died. His sheep and servants died or left. Satan came and then inflicted sores on him from feet, the the, the the foot of his feet, the sole of his feet to the crown of his head. And he was using like broken pottery and scraping himself. And his wife said this. Listen to his words of his wife. Job's wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Just curse God and die. Just go and die. Curse God and die. Job replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Should we accept good from God and not trouble? And all this, Job did not sin in what he said. 
No joke, he couldn't understand. But he knew that he's not in charge. He kept his patience rather than pride. No, dear friends, Ecclesiastes 7 tells us this in verse 14. When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider this. God made one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. Now, with the day of death as our teacher, let us keep our heads by watching our hearts. Let us be patient rather than speaking in arrogance and pride. And number three, watch our anger, verse 9. Now, apart from our Lord Jesus Christ, there are very few occasions in the Bible where anger does much good. Very few. Some, but very few. Most of the time when anger comes, you become a fool. Even the most humble person on earth, Moses, in his anger, in that split second, he committed anger and foolishness, and he lost his place to enter in the promised land of God. God said, tell the rock, and they'll come out water for the people. And he was angry, he looked at the people, and he scolded them, and then he struck the rock twice. In his anger, this most humble man of God, Lost it. Watch our anger leads we sin against God. And number four, be careful of reminiscing thoughts. This is an interesting one, verse 10. I'm sure you all had a good time if you had a Bible study this week. Now, how many of us said, verse 10, why were the old days better than this? Or lament the good old days. The good old days. Anyone say that? Even young people say that when they first started work. The teacher warns, it's not wise to ask such questions. And there are two reasons for this. First, is that our memories are skewed. Because when we look back, we forget the bad things, and we only see the good things. But more importantly, secondly, when we look back too long and say that the old days are better, we forget that God is here in the present, and God will be there in the future. We look back and think that God has left. Now I want to give just two quick examples just to help. There are students, overseas students, sometimes they, they came back, they wish, and they seem to be back in the previous land, but it's not wise after many years to still think that because you stop thinking and persevering for the Lord. Or for married couples, we, we always have this when we do marriage prep. We ask, ask the couple, do you have um, a relationship before this? Marriage. If you have, how close are you? Because verse 10 is a warning. Because every couple, when they get married, there will be times that they will quarrel. Be careful that you do not look back and think that the old days were better. Because when you look back, you stop looking at your spouse. You stop looking at the God who gave you the marriage. You stop looking at the God who is bringing you into his marriage with Christ. There are many examples, but these are warnings for us. For the rest of us, take heed these words from wisdom. Learn from the day of death so we do not waste our life. Watch our hearts. Be patient. Watch our anger. Be careful not to look back too long and forget the present God who is with us and God who will be with us in the future. But now there's just one last point that the teacher has to tell us in Ecclesiastes 7. And it's this. There is a serious limitation to wisdom under the sun. There is a serious limitation for wisdom under the sun. 
And by implication, we'll need to look for a wisdom that is beyond and greater than the wisdom that we can gather by ourselves. No, we don't have time to look at every verse in Ecclesiastes 7. Feel free to ask me after service or your Bible study leaders. But we want to look at this one big point to see the limitation of wisdom under the sun. Look with me a few, pa- uh, a few passages in Ecclesiastes 7. Look at verse 15. In this meaningless or vaporous life of mine, I've seen both of this. The righteous perishing in their righteousness, the wicked living in their wickedness. As the teacher used the eyes of wisdom to look at the world, he sees righteous people perishing in their righteousness or wicked people living a long, comfortable life. But as we know people like that, we we know of people that we love and they're great and, and we wish that they live a little bit longer. There'll be others that we look at them and wish that they face judgment, but they, they get away. And again, the teacher tried to squeeze wisdom for all the answers he can get. And look at verse 23. All this I tested by wisdom and I said, I am determined to be wise. But this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? The teacher found that even with his great wisdom, there is that limitation to understanding everything. There are things that are way too profound for the wisest man. And so eventually, he discovered a reality. He discovered this reality, why wisdom under the sun has this limitation. Do you want to know what's the, why wisdom under the sun has limitation? Look at the last few verses, verse 27 to 29. I'll read to us. Look at it. Look, says the teacher. This is what I've discovered. I add one thing, I stack things one on top of the other to discover the schemes of things. While I was searching but not finding, I found one upright man among the thousand, not one one upright woman among them all. But this only have I found. God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. Now, as he stacked wisdom on top of wisdom, he searched with his whole life, stacking upon wisdom, he could, barely find, he could barely find any upright person. But this discovery he found, verse 29, this only have I found, God created mankind upright, but they have gone in search of many schemes. So here is the reality of life and wisdom under the sun. Because in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He created mankind and He said, this is very good. But humans, as we, are, as we come forth, we, we think that very good is not good enough. We want to be the best. We want to be God. God told the first man, you can eat of any fruit of the garden, even the tree of life is there, grab as much as you can. Live as long as you like. Just this one tree of knowledge and good and evil, do not eat from it. Do not decide for yourself what is good, what is evil. Trust in me. And the first man looked at it and said, I will trust in myself. And they eat from that tree and God's word says you will die comes into existence. Lo and behold, the first man when they ate, their eyes were open. Now you have journeyed for a while this morning. If you remember right at the beginning of today's passage, wisdom tells us to live wisely.
for us to live wisely, we need to look at the day of death so that we can have wisdom. We should remember death is the last thing that you and I, we have to face. But I think it's this. I think wisdom tells us that because that is the first thing wisdom understood under the sun. The first thing that our human wisdom understood is the echo of God's voice that you will die when you sin. If we have not eaten from the tree of good and evil, wisdom is not to look at the day of death. But that was wisdom under the sun, our first lesson. Because that will be how we end. Now, dear friends, we need to look at the day of death to learn wisdom because that is our starting place of wanting wisdom without God. Wanting to be our own gods. See what happens to our wisdom under the sun. Now, as we look back at Ecclesiastes 7, I want you to spot a few things. Look at verse 19 to 20. It says this, Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in the city. Indeed, but look at this, there is not one person on earth who is righteous, nor who does what is right and never sins. Great wisdom, but truth is there. 21, 22, do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may, enter your, you may hear your servant cursing you. Why? Because you know in your heart you do the same thing. You curse people. Or verse 26, if this is written by Solomon, the wisest king in the world, then hear this irony. It's not saying that women are terrible. But this is, if this is from Solomon, listen to this irony. It speaks from the heart. Verse 26, I find more bitter than death. The woman is a snare, whose heart is a trap, whose hands are chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Now Solomon, the wisest man on earth, cannot save himself from the trap of sin. I want to read to you Solomon's fall in 1 Kings 11. Listen to the fall of this great wise man with his wisdom under the sun. Let me read to you 1 Kings 11. Solomon loved many foreign women beside the daughter of the king of Egypt. He married Hittite women, women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon. He married them even though the Lord had commanded Israelites not to. And he goes on, because they would cause the Israelites to give their loyalty to other gods. Solomon married 700 princesses and also 300 concubines. They made him turn away from God. And by the time he was old, they led him into the worship of foreign gods. And he goes on, it's, hardly, it's terribly to read. He started to build palaces, places of worship where foreign wives can burn incense, offer sacrifice to their own God on the land that God has given him and God's people. He worships the enemies of God to forget the God who made him and gave him wisdom. I don't think he's speaking here in verse 26 of Ecclesiastes 7 about women being worse, but he's speaking from a heart of an old man, if it's from Solomon. How wisdom can save him from sin. Now, dear friends, we need wisdom's reminder that death is waiting so that we can live wisely with death in mind. But we also need wisdom's reminder that it is limited so that we'll desperately look for the wisdom that can save us. 
The only way we can deal with death, then, is to look for the wisdom that is beyond the wisdom under the sun. The wisdom that allows us to reach out to the tree of life. The death is not the end point. That's the limited wisdom yelling to us. I just want to point you a few more little bits in Ecclesiastes 7 to hear the short echo, the quiet echo of the desperation of wisdom calling to us to look for that greater wisdom. Look at verse 14. If you look at verse 14, basically it's saying, God's wisdom stands above our wisdom. Know that there's a wisdom above us. Verse 18, it cries out, Fear God. You know, there was, I'm sure a lot of Bible study, verse 16, 17 has been a contention. I don't think it's about such a thing as you can be overly righteous. But perhaps it's talking not about the degree of righteousness or wickedness, but be careful of being self-righteous, of being evil. Because the focus, the focus that he wants is, do not be like that, but fear God. Fear God. And of course, verse 26, the man who pleases God will escape. So there we have it. Wisdom points us to the day of death that might gain wisdom. Wisdom shows us it's worth having, but wisdom also shows us its limitation and the echo that you need the greater wisdom beyond this. And this way I'd like to close that we need to look to a wisdom beyond us. The wisdom that's above the sun who can offer what our hands can no longer reach. Wisdom tells us we can't reach it anymore. But wisdom says, look for the wisdom beyond. And this is where he comes to us. The great wisdom of God through Jesus Christ. And this is where we have read our responsive reading. You have read it. With why, Pastor Why, listen to this again carefully, and this is where we will end. I'll read to you, and I want us to catch this. Colossians 1, verse 15. Christ is the invisible likeness of the invisible God. And goes on, For through Him God created everything in heaven and on earth, the seen and the unseen things including spiritual powers, lords, rulers, and authorities. God created the whole universe through Jesus and for Jesus. So Jesus, who is God, comes to us visibly from eternity to our world because He is the one who is able to deal with us because the world was created through Him, the world is also created for Him. If there's any way for us to get back to God where our end is not death, but eternal life, He is the only one that we can grab on when He comes down to you and to me. And listen on to verse 21, 22 that we have read just now as well. At one time, you and I, we, we were enemies, far away from God and were His enemies because of the evil things that you did and thought. But now, by the means of the physical death of His Son, God has made you His friends in order to bring you holy, pure and faultless into His presence. And it says right there, Ecclesiastes as well, we are enemies of God by our sins. But Jesus dies so that we can be friends of God. It's unbelievable. Just die so that you and I, enemies of God, can be friends with God and to be brought back to Him. You know, the wisdom above the Son, the death of Jesus, the Son of God, is to make us friends with God when we should have been enemies. When our wisdom says, I've run out for you, friend. I've got nothing else to offer. But if you grab on to that, He can carry us on where I cannot bring you. Wisdom which the teacher would die for 
is really revealed to you and me. For all who come to Jesus, gets forgiveness, gets reconciliation with God, gets the promises that the brokenness that death brings, that He can redeem us from it. And we come to Him, death is but the pit stop. Because from there on will be eternal life. And that's where the last part that you and I read with Pastor Y comes in, the glorious eternal presence with God. Look at the last part of the responsive reading we had just now. The secret he hid through all past ages for all human beings, but has now been revealed to his people. Is that Christ in you? If he is in you and me, it means that you and I will share in the glory of God. My dear friends, Ecclesiastes 7 asks us to look at the day of death, that we gain wisdom, to cling on to wisdom so that we can live a proper life. But it's cry is also for us to recognize God. Because what wisdom under the sun cannot do for us, only the wisdom above the sun can. So may we not live a foolish life and we, and for us as Christians, may we not waste this life. Because if we live it for Christ, surely we will continue living in Christ after death ends the life here. Would you pray with me as we close this time? Heavenly Father, we pray that you help us recognize our mortality. It's so easy to forget as we step out of this hall into the world for the rest of the week the celebrations, the advertisements, the praises, the offers of the world draws us to forget the green, green grass of home that Adam and Eve left. But help us to live wisely, to watch our hearts, to have patience knowing that the end has not arrived, to watch our anger, to be careful not to look at the old days as better and the process refuse to see you working in our lives today and our glorious hope of our future. Father, help us to look to your wisdom, to our Lord Jesus Christ, trusting that all of us who are in Christ, death is but a pit stop before we once again taste the fruit of the tree of life, offered by the perfect King who has authority to give it to us once again. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busybc.sg.